Welcome to Hope Chapel's Sermon Podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by this teaching from God's Word. And we also want to invite you to join us in person at one of our worship services. Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at either 9 or 11. Well, good morning, Hope Chapel. Welcome to our live stream. And this is, of course, Palm Sunday. And I want to talk to you a little bit about Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. So if you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. I do, however, want us to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are on the throne. We thank you that you are God, that you are sovereign over everything. We thank you that we can trust you. We thank you that we can wait upon you. We thank you that your purposes are good and pleasing and perfect. We thank you for the confidence that you work all things together for our good because we love you and we are called according to your purpose. Lord, this current crisis in our culture and our world has not taken you by surprise. Indeed, in some way, you've ordained this. We've been praying for revival. And Lord, we just trust that you use this season to turn many hearts toward you. We do pray, Father, for relief from this crisis. We pray, Lord, for those who are housebound, for parents with children at home, Lord, for people whose jobs are threatened. We pray, Lord, for those who desperately are sick and we ask God for mercy and grace we pray Lord for your favor and above all that we would be a light to those who don't know you to our family members to our neighbors to people we'll talk with Lord we just submit our lives to you and we give you thanks again we trust you We pray your kingdom come and your will be done in all these things. We love you. We give you all the praise. And Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name because you said we could. And the church said, amen, amen. I want to um, just commend our Pastor Nick Turner on his announcements. I saw that video this morning for the first time and uh, I was exceedingly pleased and impressed with his presentation. I didn't know it but he memorized the entire thing far beyond my ability and I was also struck as I was sitting here in an empty auditorium during the worship time worshiping with uh, Alan and Justin and with Sam. I was struck by the difference in the generations and more particularly, I was struck by the difference in hair color. Alan's bald. Justin has dark brown hair and a full head of it. And Sam, Kurtz, has a head of hair that's just as thick as can be. And then yours truly, I'm as gray as it can be. But anyway, just a little observation on my part. If you look with me in Matthew's gospel, I want us to read in chapter 21, the first 11 verses, and this is Matthew's account 
of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. Now, there are parallel accounts in Mark's gospel, chapter 11, and in Luke's gospel, chapter 19. And John also, in his gospel, mentions this event. So if you look with me in Matthew's gospel, chapter 21, we read this. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Most people today, I think you'll agree, have very, very little firsthand knowledge of a true monarchy, one in which a king or a queen truly reigns and truly rules. Most kings and queens today have little, if any, governmental power or authority. Most, if not all, are simply figureheads. And elaborate coronations are often the only notice they will ever have of really any consequence. But prior to modern times, when monarchs truly ruled, their coronations were matters of great splendor and pageantry. Let me ask you a question. What do you think was the most significant coronation of a king ever in human history? What was the most significant coronation? I submit to you it was a coronation in contrast to those attended with great worldly pageantry. It was a coronation of a true king. He was affirmed as king and was, in a sense, inaugurated into his kingship. But there was no pomp. There was no splendor. It was simply a nondescript sort of pageantry that attended this coronation. Traditionally, this coronation has been called Jesus' triumphal entry. But actually, this would be his entry into his passion and his death and ultimately his resurrection. Earlier, Jesus had passed through Jericho. He had healed two blind men there and he had brought the hated tax collector Zacchaeus to faith. Those events 
coupled with the raising of Lazarus from the dead, caused the already large crowd accompanying Jesus to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration, caused that crowd to swell. Leaving Jericho, Jesus began the difficult ascent of roughly 3,500 feet to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was up in the mountains. This was about a six to eight hour walk would cover distance of roughly 15 miles. And Jesus is making this trek all in the midst of a mass of expectant Jews. Now, what were those Jews expectant of? What were their expectations of Jesus? Were there expectations that Jesus would display his messianic power, judge Israel's enemies, most notably Rome, and establish the glorious kingdom promised by the Old Testament? Or were there expectations that Jesus had come to give his life a ransom for many? The truth is that Jesus is headed to the cross to offer his life as a ransoming, redeeming, and reconciling sacrifice. As the masses of Jews accompanied him to celebrate the Passover, little did they know, little did they realize that they were accompanying the Passover lamb himself. Before Jesus and the twelve entered Jerusalem, they stopped at a little village of Bethphage. In John's Gospel, chapter 12, John tells us that Jesus had visited Mary and Martha and Lazarus in Bethany six days before the Passover. This is key. Making it probably Saturday, the Jewish Sabbath. On the next day, Sunday, a great number of Jews came to Bethany to see Jesus, but also, John tells us in his gospel, to see Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. It was therefore probably Monday, the next day, after the crowd had visited him in Bethany, that Jesus came to Bethphage and prepared to enter Jerusalem through the eastern gate of the city. According to this chronology, Jesus' triumphal entry was on a Monday, not Palm Sunday, as we typically, by Christian tradition, celebrate. Additionally, according to the Mosaic law, the Passover lambs were to be selected on the 10th day of the first month. That's the month of Nisan, according to the Jewish calendar. And those lambs selected on the 10th day were to be kept in the household until they were sacrificed on the 14th from Exodus chapter 12. In the year that Jesus was crucified, the 10th of Nisan was the Monday of Passover week. If Jesus entered Jerusalem on Monday, <coughs> excuse me, he was received into the hearts of the Jewish people as a nation, much as a family received that sacrificial lamb into their home. What a picture. The Jews would all select a spotless lamb. They would welcome that lamb into their homes. And now here, the Jewish nation is welcoming Jesus. 
And continuing that perfect fulfillment, he was then crucified on Friday, the 14th of Nisan, as the true Passover lamb sacrifice for the sins of the world. Interestingly, Jesus initiated his own coronation when he sent two of his disciples, very possibly Peter and John, we don't know, on Monday to the village ahead of you, probably Bethphage, to find a donkey with her colt. This is Matthew chapter 21. Question, how did Jesus know about those animals that would be in that city? How did Jesus know that the two disciples would be questioned about taking them? Lucky guess? Coincidence? Imagine if you would the disciples when they brought the animals to Jesus thinking themselves, wow, what a coincidence. No. No, Jesus knew because why? He was God in the flesh. Omniscient. Mark's account says that some bystanders who Luke says were in fact the owners of those animals they did indeed ask why are you untying the colt the disciples brought both the donkey and the colt to Jesus probably the young colt would not easily have left its mother it would have been even more difficult to handle than donkeys normally are this took place to fulfill we're told by what was written and spoken through the prophet. Jesus' entire life was marked by two overriding purposes. Number one, the purpose to do his heavenly father's will. And number two, to fulfill all of the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah's first coming. We're told in 1 Kings chapter 1, that King David himself rode a mule. And that his son Solomon also rode that mule to his own coronation. But by riding the donkey colt, Jesus was not merely identifying with a Davidic tradition. Instead, he was fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you riding gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This was fully 500 years before Jesus rode in to Jerusalem. It seems almost incongruous and totally inappropriate that any king, much less the king of kings, should make his triumphal entry riding on a donkey rather than on a powerful white horse or in a regal chariot. But that is what God's prophet predicted. And that is what God's son did. Because that was what God's plan was. He was not at that time intended to come in earthly splendor or to reign in earthly power. He did not come in wealth, but in poverty not in grandeur, but in meekness, and not to destroy Israel's enemies, but to save men. This was the time of his humiliation, not the time of his glorification. 
Jesus' entry into Jerusalem also fulfilled another prophecy. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, Daniel prophesies that there would be a certain number of years, a specific number of years. In fact, he, he speaks of 69 weeks of years, or more literally, 483 years until the coming of the Messiah. Israel knew that they were living. They knew the prophecies. They knew they were living in the time and anticipating what was called the awaited one, the Messiah. And Jesus entered Jerusalem on the precise date predicted by Daniel centuries earlier. What a coincidence. In John chapter 12, John tells us that none of Jesus' disciples, including the two who went for the donkey, none of them understood the Lord's purpose in this or the other events of that coming week. The two disciples brought the donkey and the colt, and because they had no blankets to pad the animals' backs and were not sure which one Jesus would ride, they placed their cloaks on both of the animals. Which animal did Jesus choose? He chose the colt, Luke tells us in chapter 19, the smallest and the lowliest of the two animals. As he began to ride into the city of Jerusalem, on Monday, we read this in Matthew 21, verses 8 and 9. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. He began to ride into the city amidst the people's acclamations and their shouts of praise. It was an ancient custom, apparently, for citizens to spread their garments on the road for their king to ride over. It symbolized their respect and their submission to that king. Others would cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And again, John's gospel says that the branches were from palm trees. And palm branches were symbolic of salvation and joy. And indeed, they pictured a great multitude in Revelation chapter 7. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. There was great excitement as the crowds of people gathered around Jesus. The expectation was that he would bring deliverance. And those expectations were so great that the crowd was caught up in what, from simply a human perspective, was a frenzy of mob hysteria. Expressing their excitement and hope, the people were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The Hebrew term Hosanna is an exclamatory plea, meaning save now. You can understand how the people were desiring this and they were shouting this, save now. That term Hosanna later became an expression of praise and hope. But the crowd on that day was not interested in Jesus saving their souls. No, but only in his saving them from Rome. They were about to celebrate Passover, which commemorated God's miraculous deliverance of Israel from Egyptian bondage. What better occasion could there be for the Messiah to deliver his people from the tyranny of Rome? But Jesus didn't come to conquer Rome. He came to conquer sin and death and hell. He did not come to make war with Rome. He came, however, to make peace with God for mankind. Although the shouts of the multitude were entirely appropriate and were, in fact, a fulfillment of prophecy, the people had no idea of the true significance of what they were doing, much less of what Jesus would soon do on the cross for them. In fact, most of them, despite their loud proclamation and praise, would soon turn against him and they would shout, crucify him. While they acknowledged Jesus as the son of David, which was the most common messianic title, and they were crying out, in effect, save us now, great Messiah, save us now, quoting from Psalm 118, which was a psalm of deliverance. While they knew who Jesus was, the Messiah, the son of David, and that he had come indeed in the name of the Lord, they were wrong about the sort of deliverer he was. They were wrong about his kingship. They were wrong about his kingdom. And when it dawned on them a few days later that Jesus would not fulfill their expectations, they turned against him. They wanted Jesus on their own terms. And they would not bow to a king who was not of their liking, even though he was the son of God. He would not deliver them on their terms, and they would not be delivered on his terms. Many people today are open to a Jesus who they think will give them health and wealth and success and happiness and all the other worldly things they want. Unlike the multitude of Jesus' triumphal entry, they will loudly acclaim Jesus as long as they believe he will satisfy their own selfish desires. And like the same multitude a few days later, they will reject and denounce him when he doesn't deliver as expected. As far as the true intent of the people was concerned, Jesus' coronation was a hollow, empty pretense. The words of the multitude were right, but their hearts were not. In any case, he had not come at that time to be crowned. He had come at that time to be crucified. He will be crowned one day. 
in a way that is perfectly fitting. The times of rejection will be over and his name at his name. Paul tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The first time he came was to provide salvation for all who would believe in him. But when he comes again, he will come to display his sovereignty. He will come to display his great and ultimate coronation described by John in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 5, let me read this to you. Follow along with me. And then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. And then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a, had a harp. They were holding golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. They sang, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. Church, that is a coronation. That is a great announcement. Now, Matthew's account of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem ends, I think, rather anticlimactically. After all the shouting of acclaim had subsided and Jesus, in fact, entered Jerusalem, this question was asked, who is this? The best response that could be given, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. When all the excitement began to die down, they were hard put to say who Jesus really was. 
other than a prophet who came from Nazareth in Galilee. They no longer called him the son of David or praised him as the great deliverer. Now he was no more than a prophet. But one day he will come as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Again, from Revelation chapter 19, we read this. Verse 11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire. On his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one but he himself knows. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. The Jews sadly missed who Jesus was. But God has revealed him to us today. And you and I acknowledge Jesus as King of kings, Lord of lords. You and I acknowledge him as our Savior. The one who has saved us from sin and death and hell and Satan. He saved us for his own namesake and for his glory. Though they just finally acknowledged him as a prophet, we acknowledge him as far more. He is our Lord and our Savior. Amen, church? Amen. Jesus is headed for, if you continue to read the gospel account, He's headed for his Passion Week. And if you read through the different gospel accounts, you read of all the issues and all the statements and all the experiences that Jesus experienced that week, culminating in his death and his ultimate resurrection, which we will thankfully celebrate next week, Easter Sunday. But for right now, as is our custom, we want to remember him through the very means whereby he's told us to do is through this communion time. I want to encourage you, if you have some bread and some juice handy, if you prepared for this, I want us to take communion together. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians when he addresses the Corinthians, he talks to them about communion. He says to them, every time we do this, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. So we focus not only on his death, we focus on the hope that we have that Jesus is in fact coming back. He died for us. He died for our sins that we might have life. And he's coming back for us to experience life to the full. That's what he said. He said, I've come that you have life, and you have life to the full. So if you have those elements handy, 
Let's take a moment and remember him. Jesus, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for this great salvation. Lord, on one hand, we think we understand what it is. and On the other hand, it's totally incomprehensible why he would come for us, why you would give your life for those who hate you and for your enemies. But Lord, nonetheless, that was your purpose. The only thing we can attribute it to is the fact that you are, you are a God of love. And that love must of necessity express itself. We thank you that we have a great hope. We thank you that you, again, are sovereign. We thank you even in the midst of difficult times, Lord, that you would give us wisdom and understanding how to redeem these times for your glory. The bread, of course, points us to Jesus' body. And Jesus told his disciples, this is my body given for you. Let's eat the bread together. And of the cup, he reminded us, this is the cup of the new covenant in his blood poured out for us for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you, Jesus. Drink the cup. Amen, church. God bless you. I love you. I miss you. I miss being with you physically, personally. And before we know it, we'll all be meeting back together again to praise his name in the midst of the congregation. But until then, we thank God for technology. We thank God that we can come to you via this online streaming And Lord willing, we'll see you next Sunday. God bless you. I love you. Have a blessed week. And please, tell somebody about Jesus. Amen? Amen. On behalf of the Hope Chapel family, we want to thank you for joining us. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can visit www.hopechapel.org.